Good morning. It's a great day to be here. It's LaVon's birthday. Everybody turn to LaVon and wave at her. She needs a good wave right now. Yes, we got to keep the secretary happy because she runs the church, and that ain't no lie. Second one, second one is a picture I want to show you of somebody else who had a birthday on Friday. Look at that. That's our newest, one of our newest elders turned 55, and he discovered to his great delight that this is the age at which you hit when McDonald's gives you that senior price coffee. Look at that. Look at that. He's frugal and he's saving a few cents. Uh, anyway, say to him as well. That's straight from his daughter who's now just going, I can't believe my dad dressed like that. But anyway, uh, we are so grateful you're here. Hope that you have good things going like this in your life too. And even if not, we know that no matter what else is going on, there's some great things going on in your life because there's some things that are always true. Is that God's always there. He's forgiven you your sin. And he's living life right there beside you. And there's one other truth we're going to sing before we get started. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. We are in Matthew 22 where the reading was. Good job with the reading. And uh, you know the Pharisees pretty well. Uh, we talk about them a lot. Uh, they came at Jesus a lot. While you're reading the Gospels, hardly a page goes by when they aren't confronting Jesus about something and the conflict grows and then Jesus just lets them have it a few times through the, through the Gospels. Uh, they are a thorn in his side, and yet it's by them coming into his ministry that he defines himself. And you know about the Pharisees. What you don't often know is about the Sadducees. They make an appearance or two in the Gospels, but they're the major thorn in the side of the church in the book of Acts. They kind of take center stage. The Pharisees kind of drift off because the entire issue uh, that Paul is in trouble for and the entire issue that he's preaching in the book of Acts is resurrection. Our Christian faith and your eternal life rises or falls on one truth, resurrection of Jesus. That's a hinge. That's disproven. If you're not convinced of that, your Christian faith is completely sabotaged. It's that significant. Well, the Sadducees start coming at Jesus. You notice this. Uh, it says that same day in verse 23. So we, we, last week we talked about the Pharisees and the Herodians coming at Jesus, trying to discredit him with a question about taxes. And Jesus answered, and they were amazed, so they gave up. Well, now the Sadducees who don't like Jesus either come at him, and they have a different kind of question, but it's the exact same day. They're just, you know how when two people may hate each other, but when they hate somebody else worse, they become friends? So all these groups start ganging up on Jesus, and they come at him one after another like a machine gun. And as they do, Jesus answers every single one of them. Well, now it's the Sadducees' turn. But you need to know something about the Sadducees. Sadducees are people who only believe the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Pentateuch, and after that, they think it's all fluff. Uh, so they kind of pick and choose what parts of Scripture they're going to follow. That's the Sadducees. Second is, there's no spiritual realm at all. What the world, the visible world you see is all there is. It's, there's no angels, there's no demons, there's no real spiritual significance to your sin. 
There's nothing that's going to happen to you. There is no resurrection. We're not going to come back to life. And because of that, there is no judgment. So when you're dead, you're dead. And what you've done is what you've done. And there's no ramifications for it. And as a result of all these things, they compromise with the powers that be because they want to have, they want to have a good existence in this life. After all, if that's all there is, let's get the best of it we can. And so they compromise their truth and they get the powers of the people at Rome. So the Pharisees outnumber the Sadducees. But the Sadducees outpowered the Pharisees because they were kind of in cahoots with Rome. That's all you really need to know about the Sadducees, really, at this point. But they come at Jesus with a question, and their question's not political. It's not about taxes. Their question is the one thing that drives them crazy, the belief of resurrection. They just can't accept a belief that there is resurrection. And they want to make resurrection look stupid. So when they come at Jesus, they bring their best stuff. When the Sadducees are squabbling with the Pharisees over resurrection, the Sadducees have come up with this rhetorical story. It's a case study. Uh, And every time they bring it out and they play it out in front of everybody, the Pharisees are stumped. They don't know how to answer it. So it's like, well, I'm going to do a Northeast Arkansas pronunciation of a Latin term. Reductio ad absurdum. I'm going to present an argument that makes the resurrection look absurd. And so they bring it out. And it's a story called One Bride for Seven Brothers. And you know Leviret marriage of the Old Testament. Well, maybe you don't. Here's what happens. A man and a woman get married. And you see everything in the Old Testament depends on you having offspring to continue your name and to have your inheritance. But this man and this woman, uh, if a man marries a woman and, and the man dies and there's no children that he left behind, she marries the brother of the man, and they have a child in the name of the first man who died. That's how you kept the family line. And if you read verse 24, for instance, as they, as they tell this story, in chapter 22, verse 24, it says, uh, uh, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Raise up is the same word as resurrection. The only resurrection and the only eternal life anybody had was through their reputation and through their offspring. That's the only way you lived on. At least that's what the Sadducees thought. And they'd usher out this story. Well, I've decided that I'd have Michael see if the young people in the high school class would act out this story for us. And they did it on video. I'm going to give you two warnings about this. Number one, there's not enough guys. So sometimes a girl will play the husband. I don't want you thinking that we're teaching women marry women. It's not what we believe. But when you've got a limited number of guys in the youth group, so please know that. But here is the story The Sadducees always present to stump the Pharisees, and they decided we're going to use it against Jesus, and this is it.
Isn't that a great line? Isn't that a great performance? She marries all these people. And I'd stop in the middle of the story and say, guys, don't marry the woman. She's killing you all. It's arsenic. Right? The story is, with Levirate marriage taken to an extreme, you're like, she's been married to all seven of them, didn't have children through any of them, so when she's brought back to life and you're having eternal life in heaven, whose husband is going is to, which, which of the men is going to be her husband? And what do you do with the other six? It's a great question, isn't it? And Jesus is ready to respond. You're just wrong. He's not He's not obnoxious, and he's not overbearing. He just simply says, you know what, you're wrong. And sometimes, can I tell you this, sometimes when you're talking with somebody else, the truth is there is a right and there is a wrong, and there's nothing wrong with saying to somebody, you know what, you're wrong. And he gives two reasons why they're wrong. Number one, you're wrong because you don't know the Scriptures. There's an awful lot of people in this world, and Mark, listen to their language when they're talking to you. There's an awful lot of people in this world who want to have spiritual debates and spiritual discussions, but they don't want to bother with Scripture. It's I feel, it's I think, I would imagine, I can't believe, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And the, the thing is, here's the truth, and I, I know other people will disagree about experience and reason. The only source of authority for all things God and spiritual is the Scriptures. It's the Word of God, and if you can't say it there, you can't really know it. It's the only real insight we have. And yet a lot of people want to go, well, I feel this way, or I think this way, and you, you need to stop and say, listen, we need to know Scripture. And don't you, when you argue with somebody, when you discuss with somebody, when you have a conversation be very careful the difference between I think and what Scripture says. So Jesus says, first of all, you're wrong because you don't know what the Bible says. And he goes on to talk about this in resurrection. Just a little a couple verses down, he has a simple little Bible study. Have you not read? You get that? Have you not read? And this is like, have you guys not read the Scriptures? Do you not know this story? So verse 31, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? Would you see that in your Bibles? Look at verse 31. Haven't you read this? Guys, it's one thing to know Scripture. It's another thing when you take it and you make it your life. And we know a lot of things, and we can do Bible quiz, and we can answer Bible questions, and we can fill in the blanks of all these things, but it's a different thing when it doesn't affect your life. The doctrine we believe must touch your life and must come out in your behavior and the way you live and the way you think and the way you ask questions and the way you make decisions for your life. It needs to show that you don't just know Scripture, but you've internalized it and you're living by it. Have you not read... Now notice what it says. Have you not read what was said to you by God? And then he quotes Exodus chapter 3. I thought Exodus chapter 3 was God speaking to Moses, but Jesus says it's God speaking to you. Is it God speaking to Moses or is it God speaking to you, church? Which is it? It's both. He says, God's speaking to you when he says this. And then he quotes Exodus chapter 3. It's this line, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the living. Now here's what he's saying. God has said something. Now Jesus, when he's going to prove resurrection, the best way I know, because the Old Testament is not real clear about what happens after death. To be honest with you, there's one verse 
Daniel chapter 12 that's real clear. Other than that, there's not a lot of clarity. But what Jesus knows is the Sadducees will only accept Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And one of the reasons they don't believe in the resurrection is there's no resurrection discussion at all in the Pentateuch. Or is there? So Jesus then quotes Exodus 3, one of the most famous passages. It would be like John 3, 16 today. It's when Moses is spoken to by God from the burning bush. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They would know this. They know this story like the back of their hand. Every VBS has it. Every time they get together, they talk about this amazingly significant story. And right in the middle of that, Jesus goes right into the middle of it and says, don't you see where this teaches resurrection? And nobody else had seen it. Do you see it in that line? Do you see resurrection in there? It's really hard to see. But it has to do with the present tense verb. I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am. They've all interpreted this over the years to say, God's saying the same God who spoke to Abraham is speaking to you, Moses, out of this bush. And it does mean that. And the one who led our opening prayer just now, just a little bit ago, do you know what God he was speaking to? You want to guess? The same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know who you talk to every time you bow your head and every time you say that whispering prayer in your mind when you're in a rush but you want to talk to God for a minute? You know who you're talking to? You are talking to the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. The same God because He ever lives for every believer. He ever lives and will until the end of time and will continue to live because He's an eternal being. But this verb says something else too, Jesus says. He's not just the, it's that he is the God. He is the God of Abraham. He doesn't say, I am the God of the prophet formerly known as Abraham. Nope. I am still the God of Abraham. Abraham still is. I'm still God, and Abraham is still Abraham, and Isaac is still Isaac, and Jacob is still Jacob. Do you not see in this most most well-known passage that you guys know, the one that you know because it's the call of Moses and we're so high on Moses, do you not know that this line right here is telling you that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive? That's what Jesus says. You don't know the Scriptures. And it hurts you when you don't know the Scriptures. I can recall people in Scripture who were hurt by not knowing Scripture. You remember Jephthah, the judge who, who wanted to impress God and wanted to and, and, and get God's help? You remember this? And he wanted to enlist God's help to win a victory. So he says, God, if you'll give me victory, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an offering of the first person who comes out of my house. Because the rest of the gods around him... The rest of the religions around him said the most impressive display of belief that you can have is to offer up your children as a sacrifice. But that's not the God of Scripture. And not knowing Scripture hurt him. Because he went to the other religions, got his cue from them, brought it back to the religion of God of the Bible, and he brought in human sacrifice. And even then, there was a way out of his vow. But he didn't know Scripture enough to know it. And I'm going to tell you this. Not knowing Scripture will hurt you. It will hurt you. And these guys didn't believe in resurrection didn't believe, didn't know the hope that exists for that, but also didn't know about the judgment to come, all because they didn't know Scripture. 
It's our primary way of knowing anything about God and about spiritual things. So we need to dig in and we need to know it. There's another thing, though. He says, secondly, you don't know the power of God. The resurrection is about two things. It's about knowing what God said and about knowing what God is able to do. That We are New Testament believers now. We know that Jesus taught about resurrection. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that Paul gives us a clear itinerary of when we ourselves are going to rise up from the grave. We have no excuse as New Testament believers with a full revelation of Scripture. We have no excuse for not being fully convinced of the resurrection. But you still got to believe God's able to do it. Church, do you really believe God is going to be able to bring every one of us back to life after we're dead? Is God able to do that? I think the Sadducees, Jesus was saying, your problem is not only do you not know what the Bible says, but you don't think God can do this. You don't think God's capable. You believe in Genesis 1-1 that he spoke into existence everything that is and that he made out of dirt a man named Adam. You believe that, but you don't believe that he can also speak to that same dirt that used to be a person, disintegrated, right? Decomposed. You don't think he can bring that person back. What kind of problem is that for you to believe that we serve a God who's not powerful enough to do that? I believe, and church, so do we, and it's the reason you're here on Sunday morning. You believe you serve a God not only who's told us, but he's able to back up what he tells us by his own ability and power to do it. We serve a God who's capable, fully able to bring us all back to life. And he will. He said he will, and we know he can do it. A few other things that would fit in this category. There's a couple of questions. I don't have anybody ever asking me these things. A couple of things he tells us, first of all, is this. There's not going to be marriage and childbirth in heaven. The population is going to stay the same in heaven because there'll be no childbearing. There'll be no marriage. We didn't really hear that from anywhere else in Scripture. But here's the thing. We, we all imagine this. We all imagine heaven as being life on earth only better without the sin. But that's not exactly true. There's some discontinuity between eternal heaven and here there's not going to be marriage and childbirth we can't imagine that that's part of life i mean we're having somebody getting married on january right we're having babies born we can't imagine an existence where that's not a big part of life but you don't need it in heaven because nobody dies and love is in perfection and we're there with god we will not become angels. I hear that all the time, and that's crazy. We will not earn our wings and become angels. We will be like the angels. Angels are created beings. They don't procreate. Every angel that exists was created directly by God. And that's the way it is in heaven. There is no procreation. We'll be like the angels that way. Now, there's a couple of questions people ask today that would fall under this power of God thing. Number one, will we know each other in heaven? I'm amazed at the number of people who will ask this. And if you ever have a Q&A somewhere at some youth rally or something, it's not so much youth rallies, but it's, it's other places where adults are, they will always ask this question. Let me just take a poll. How many believe we will know each other in heaven? How many believe we will not? How many won't answer because you're afraid? You, no, no. That's, and that's fair. I usually get about an equal number, and, and I, there's one guy in the congregation I talk to on a regular basis, and he and I disagree about this. He's still going to go to heaven, I think. He's still going to go to heaven, even though we disagree. 
Will we know each other? There is no indication anywhere in Scripture of an answer to this question. If you go to Scripture looking for it, you go to Job looking for it, you go to different places, you'll not get a clear teaching. That's why this question's been raging for generations. I still want to go back to the same verse Jesus quotes. I am the God of Isaac and the God, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Abraham's still alive, Isaac's still alive, and Jacob's still alive. It makes sense to me. Abraham also still knows Isaac, and Isaac still knows Jacob. And if, if it's our life and how we lived here that caused us to end up in heaven, why would we have a forgetfulness of all that when we get there? On the other hand, on the other side of the argument is this. If I'm in heaven and I can see all the people who are not and I know what happened to them, how could you be joyful and rejoice and not have tears in your eyes? I get that, but I, I come back to this question. The power of God is surely capable enough to solve that dilemma. Surely he can let us have memory and take care of the rest of the stuff that would be unpleasant. That's just my... But listen, this question is not essential for your salvation. Just get there, church. Just get there and we'll find out together, okay? And then if we won't know each other, we won't even remember that we had this question. And it won't even matter anyway, right? And the second question is this. Can you do cremation because you scatter it to the four winds? How can the body arise from there? And I'm miffed by how anybody questions how God would fix this. First of all, what did he make Adam out of in the first place? Could he not do it again a billion times? Sure he could. The other thing would be if you were in a casket buried 5,000 years ago, you're probably dust now. You're just a pile of dust. Just like somebody cremated last week is a pile of ashes and they've been blown in the wind and it's just everything. God is more than capable of fixing that dilemma and bringing you back out of that right? We shouldn't have a problem with this. This shouldn't be an issue with us. Now, it can be a personal taste thing. That's fine. But it can't be a question of the power of God who is capable. Now, none of this seems to make much difference to your life this week, does it? I want to end with this. I want to end with this discussion of what makes a, a, a Sadducee. How did somebody come to embrace this kind of lifestyle? And here's, here's the first thing. Number one is this. They chose certain parts of Scripture to believe and then disregarded the rest of it. I want to pick and choose. I, I, I like this. This is real love. This is real grace. This is real mercy. This is, this is how I envision God. It fits my picture of what God is. And so I like this passage. I don't like this one over here. I can't imagine there being rules of any type like this that would actually be committed by somebody that, that would get them crosshairs with God. I, I want to get rid of this. I want this, but I don't want this. That makes you a Sadducee Christian. We live by the whole counsel of God. Every word of Scripture was breathed out by God, and we are to live by it and honor it and submit to it. Now, I'm not going to tell you there aren't parts that are hard for me, but even when I break them, even when I'm lacking faithfulness to them, I come back in the evening or come back when I realize it and I say, God, listen, I'm wrong. What I did here, I know what your word says and I believe it's right. When
Sadducee, you go, you know what? I just disagree with God. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what it says over here. I'm going to take these books, and I like them. I'm going to take these and cut them out because I don't. Some people are like the Crowder came to town. They were here last night. I wouldn't have minded. They have a song about the red letter day. Started reading the red letters. If you have a Bible with red letters, put it in a red fire, okay? We who believe in Scripture and the authority of Jesus and his apostles believe that whether that letter is red in your Bible or black, it is inspired by God and is useful for your life. The fact that Jesus said it doesn't make it more important than that Paul said it or that Peter said it. It's all the Word of God. Every word is God-breathed, useful for correcting and training in righteousness, right? We believe it all. We don't cut and paste. We don't choose what we want. Thomas Jefferson did that. You can see his Bible in the Smithsonian, and it's only the red letters. We don't do that. We take it all. Second thing that makes you a Sadducee Christian is you refuse to believe in resurrection. You might intellectually believe it, but you don't really accept it. And in fact, you don't believe in the spiritual ramification of your behavior. You think, I'm going to go along and I make a mistake. Oh, ain't no big deal. I get away with it. And so many times people live their lives full of sin, and it doesn't seem like anything bad happens to them. Where's the warnings? Where's the warning of Scripture how God hates that and He's going to punish that? He suspends that. He suspends it by grace until you have a chance to repent. But don't take that as a fact that God is indifferent about it. God is not limited to this life and judging you for your sin. That's what resurrection teaches. There's an awful lot of people, and college people, it's easy to do this. You know I'm going to live another 60 years, so really what I do about right here, if whether I live the Christian life or not doesn't matter, oh, it does matter. You will be judged for this. You've got time to repent, but you will be judged for your behavior. That's what resurrection means. And there's an awful lot of people who live their lives, and even us parents raising our kids, acting like this life is all that's important, that this is the most important thing, and you've got to be involved in this and make the most out of your life. And I want to tell you, because of resurrection, this is not the most important time of your life. It is not. Except insofar as it determines the next one. Be careful because you will have to answer for the way you live. And there's a third thing. They compromised the truth in order to fit in with the powers that be. They wanted to rub shoulders with those Romans, and so they would compromise their faith enough to be able to be buddy-buddy with the Roman people. Listen, we have a lot of Christians who are so wanting a good experience in this existence that we're willing to compromise our truth to be popular in this life. That makes you a Sadducee believer. They ruled the day when it came to power, but in AD 70 when the Romans came and destroyed the temple, the Sadducees had nothing to be faithful to, and instead of riding a fence between the world and their faith, they just went into the world and dissolved, and they don't exist. They're not around to this day, except in those Christians who pick and choose Scripture, who believe this life is all there is, and who are willing to compromise their truth. Here is the truth. The Word of God is living and active, and it will be the judgment of you. We need to live by the Word of God and let it be what defines what is true and what is right and what is wrong. And that Word says that we need to be people who, 
We need to be people who name the name of Jesus from our lips. We need to be people who, who decide we're not going to live that life of sin. We're going to live a life that honors and glorifies our Creator. That's what that Scripture says. And that we will do nothing that brings reproach or shame upon Him. That's what that Word says. And we're going to live by that. And we believe that there is a resurrection. And we believe that every sin that we commit has ramifications and we either repent of them or we'll eventually have to pay for them. There is a resurrection. There will be a judgment. We will be rewarded or punished for our behavior, whatever is appropriate. We also believe that this life is not the most important thing. And there's some things we will never compromise no matter what this life demands of us. That's the truth. I hope you will repudiate being and turn away from being a Sadducee Christian if you find yourself in that camp. They don't exist anymore, and in eternity you won't either. If there's anyone who needs to respond this morning, maybe you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living like this life is all that matters. I'm living as if the Word of God, I can just pick and choose, and I want to submit to the whole thing this morning. We would love to see a change for you. We'd love to see you be the person who say, I want to live my life by the whole counsel of God. I want, to be re- I want to be ready for the resurrection, and I want to live this life in a way that honors God. If you're ready to make that change or make that response, now's a great time to do it as we stand and as we sing.